yeah sorry to uh start off the top i think it does throw some people off i don't really have like a you know a uh standard start or anything it's just sort of like a phone call uh which is sure bizarre. but um you see yeah. my name now um can i is it my name it should be now it should be so awesome yeah but um I've documented a lot of stories of uh, folks who worked in the media, especially sports media, which yep. is what you're known for. Um, and there were plenty of, of events that went on here. Uh, do you have a favorite event that takes place in Indianapolis that you did? Well, uh, well, when I was there, I had the opportunity to do the 2015 Final Four, which was so fun because I love college basketball. And, um, and the final four being there in Indianapolis was so special, but it was also so cool because I remember, uh, just the, the four teams that were there. I mean, you want to talk about college hoops, Titans, Kentucky, Michigan state Duke. And I know Wisconsin doesn't typically fit into that group, but that Wisconsin team was so good, good enough that they beat unbeaten Kentucky in the national semis to set up Wisconsin and Duke for the, for the championship on Monday night. So really good memories of getting a chance to cover that. Um, you remember the, the set being downtown and getting to sit with Bob Donaldson and Debbie Knox downtown yeah. right off to the side of, of Kilroy's and, and just doing all that fun stuff. Debbie Knox, by the way, just retired. And That's I texted right. with her, um, the, just what a what an amazing gem of a person with with an, such an accomplished career. So, congratulations to her. I know she'll be missed on TV in Indianapolis. But uh, yeah, I guess Final Four pops into mind. And then while I was working in Indianapolis, um, I loved getting a chance to cover the Colts in the AFC title game early in 2015. Right. The you know the infamous Deflate Gate game. The oh, Colts right. obviously that game did not go well for the Colts, but anytime you know a team's making a run like that and they're within a game of the Super Bowl and it was it was at at, at Gillette Stadium playing Tom Brady, that was that was pretty cool. Uh because Debbie Knox is such a legendary figure in news here, um, what's the best piece of advice you got from her in your time? Great question. I, honestly, I don't think I don't think of a piece of advice. I think of the way that she went about things and never took herself too seriously, even in a very important and at times serious job. You know, the way that she cracked jokes really like made me feel at ease joining a new market with uh, just an amazing, accomplished group of anchors and, and Chris Wright doing the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Debbie just, she had a way of telling the news to viewers, but in a very like relaxed and personable and, um, and conversational way. And I think that it, it, that's the connection that she built with people. It mm-hmm. felt like just, you know, a friend, was talking to them for decades and you know on the other side of the camera getting a chance to work next to her just the 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 way that she made jokes and 
and transitioned so easily between stories and to sports and, and had fun with it. I remember <laughs> one time I had this crazy idea to do a uh, Price is Right. No, not Price is Right. A Family Feud spoof. And Debbie was like 100% on board. And we walked through this rehearsal and there was Debbie. You know, when we went live, Debbie was, you know, really acting it out, doing the, you know, buzzing in and, and the whole thing. She, she, was, she was just the best. Um, it's hard to be natural on camera. I'm still working on it. You know, you try to get your 10,000 hours in, but um, how much of that is naturally ingrained in someone just being able to talk naturally in front of a camera? <laughs> I know for me, it's a lot less natural than it is something that's come with practice. Um, I think it's different for some people. I always think about a guy I went to college with, Mike Hall, who's on Big Ten Network, uh, one of the anchors there for since its inception. But, you know, uh, I'm sure plenty of people watching or listening remember when ESPN did that game show, Dream Job, and Mike was the first winner. So oh, okay. literally, Mike went from being a student at Mizzou to being on TV on ESPN and mm. being really good. Um, and obviously, he's gotten even better and better. But if I had been asked at 22, 23 years old to get on ESPN, I would have been, it would have been ugly. I mean, I think I look back on the work I did in my first job in Springfield, Illinois, and I think, God, was I bad. Um, so at that same time, Mike Hall was on ESPN, which is all to say, I think he had a very natural ability um, to engage with the camera and just to ad lib and, and, and to look comfortable on the air. For me, it was something that took a lot more time and a lot more practice. So I think it's a mix for most people, but how much of it is natural versus uh, the work you put in differs for everyone. I know Missouri is a really good uh, communication school, and I can recall uh, Anthony Calhoun talking about being with Mike Tirico uh, at Syracuse. Uh, oh, are, there, yeah. are there any other uh, famous names that you worked with that are worth mentioning here? <laughs> Well, there's a uh, there's a woman I work uh, was <clears throat> in school with Chris Budden, who's a um, ESPN sideline reporter on some of their biggest college hoops and and college football games, and she's in studio hosting as well. So she's just um, she's had an amazing career, and she's such a great person. So I love to see all of her success. Um, but her and Mike Hall. And I wonder if I'm forgetting anyone, but not the star power of the Syracuse mm. grads. Those play-by-play -play folks from Syracuse, it's like a, it's like a who's who. I know, you know, Tarico and I believe Costas, and mm. um, you know, the list goes on and on. So very impressive. Yeah, I think. Uh, the short list of the really, really best TV program schools, it always includes Syracuse 
and Missouri. And uh, I know in talking to a colleague of mine, Courtney Cronin, who covers the Bears for ESPN, and she's on Around the Horn all the time. I know she went to Indiana, and she says it's really emerged as um, an improved and, and outstanding journalism school. So that's really cool to see for folks who are in state and in, Indi- in Indiana, that they have that opportunity to go there and, and do great stuff, too. I went to the University of Indianapolis, so I'm always going to be uh, singing their praises. Uh, and, you know, the business has continued to evolve. It doesn't even look the same as when I was in college a few years ago. Um, what would be your advice to students on what to learn while they're in school so that they're prepared? <laughs> everything, everything, because yeah. if there's one, you know, like overarching theme for the media world, it's they want you to do more with less and you know the financial resources that are being put in are less and if you're especially if you're in sports oftentimes at like a local tv station sports is lowest on the totem pole um you know they're going to prioritize weather and news and investigative pieces way before they're going to prioritize sports and give resources to sports so mm-hmm. just have knowledge of everything and be good at everything and i know that sounds really daunting but um yeah you know and that's 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 like par for the course nowadays in terms of what schools are teaching you know any any student who's studying journalism now is being taught to be a one-man band a multimedia journalist where they're um you know, let's say they're doing TV. They're doing the shooting. They're doing the editing. They're doing the writing. They're building the graphics. And oh, by the way, then at the end of everything, go on TV and look look and sound <laughs> good. You know, like yeah. that, that would seem to be priority number one, but there's all those other things you have to do beforehand. So being good at everything, being proficient at everything, knowing how to manage your time because you'll have to do so many things, especially... Um, in those first jobs or those early markets where you definitely will have to be a multimedia journalist. Mm-hmm. Those are, I think those are the most important things to be able to do is to be able to know how to do everything and to do them in a, you know, in a timely manner. You don't realize it until you're graduated and in need of a job, but it's a privilege to to have one and to have any opportunity out there. And as a sports reporter and anchor at uh, NBC Chicago, you're in a good spot, but um, have you ever considered doing something else? Because there are easier jobs for more money sometimes if you look in the right place. Well, the answer to your question is I have considered it. And every time I consider it, I think to myself, what else would I do? Right. What else could, what else could I do that is something that I'm this passionate about? And I remember you know, it, it's cliche, but I, my dad was always the first person to say, like, you, you, you got to love what you do or it really, it really benefits you to enjoy what you do. Because, you know, as you get older, you realize more and more like working's tough and, you know, you're getting up for some people more than five days a week and, you're dealing with whatever family issues and anxieties and challenges you have outside of work. So if, 
if you have all that going on outside of work and you really don't like your job, that's a challenging existence. So bottom line is, sure, I've thought about it. And then I've thought to myself, what the heck else am I going to do where I would get to watch sports and talk about sports? And of course, it's evolved. You know, you talk about the evolution of the industry. I mean, when I got in, um, I graduated in 2006. So I've been working in TV for 17 years. And definitely when I started, it was more about like getting highlights and calling highlights, um, even in the small markets, you know, showing all the highlights of the local football and basketball teams. Um, but as time has gone on and highlights, especially at like the college and pro level, you know, become immediately available for people on their phone or their tablet or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the sound bites of the day become immediately available. People aren't waiting around like they used to for the 10 o'clock news. They, the best example I give is always like in Chicago, because the Cubs often play during the summer at 120. Mm -hmm. So there's almost no one who's waiting around for the 10 o'clock news and doesn't know what happened in a Cubs game that started at 120. Right. You know, whereas decades ago, that might have been the case. Um, so it's about delivering something different to people, especially in like local news. And that's where I think um, it's become more about storytelling, even with a quick soundbite, um, less about the X's and O's, more about maybe something that's unique to a player or that fans don't know about a player or a team. And I know for me in reporting, even like uh, reporting on the Bears, you know, trying to find a good feature story about a player as opposed to just recapping, oh, the Bears beat the Lions last week. You know, uh, Justin Fields threw a touchdown to DJ Moore and ran for another. You know, less about that and more about if there was something really neat about Justin Fields that was off the field or something that was inspirational to him. Right. It's just about delivering a different product to people than it was even just a decade and a half ago. And I think that continues to evolve more and more. Well, when you're being hired, I know that hiring managers only have a couple of minutes to see what you have and, and look at your qualifications. What should people include if they've got two minutes to show what they have? <laughs> That's a great point, Jimmy, because you're real if you're applying for a job that requires a real um it, it should really be catchy you know they talk about a um a montage at the beginning of it and that should just really be your best most dynamic stuff and i i think if it's something where you're i'm i'm going to speak from my area of expertise if you're you know if you're on tv or on on the internet on camera whatever it is mm -hmm. you know you should stand out because when there's a sports job in an enviable market that's got great sports, there's going to be hundreds of people that want it. Mm. So how are you going to differentiate yourself? And I think that's where, you know, being great with your writing, creative with your writing and not just kind of mailing it in and cliche with everything you say, have have your writing set you apart um have your 
live work in the field set you apart. That's something that always is going to impress, um, you know, news directors or the people who are looking at reels because that shows you can do it outside of the studio where you've got a teleprompter. Right. You know, in the field where you're you're more off the cuff or um, or reacting to what's going on. And another thing that I think is great is when you do have some taped stand-ups in a story, um, see if you can do something creative with it. Some movement, some show and tell, something that goes beyond standing on a football field hours after it happened and saying, you know, right. the Colts beat the Titans 21 uh-huh. to 14 today. Here's what they had to say. You know, that is not going to impress anyone because anyone who loves sports can stand out there and do that. Use your writing, use your movement, use your storytelling, and use your live work to set you apart and show your creativity. Okay. Uh, Every man should have a black suit. And then, you know, you have different variations of that. But uh, how do you decide what you wear day to day since it is a visual medium? (laughs) I don't think I've ever been asked that question on like a podcast or an interview. So good one, Jimmy. That's a first. Um, I I mean, I think that's a, that's personal taste. You know, as long as it, as long as it matches, as long as it's not like awful clashing colors and patterns, you do you, man, you know, (laughs) whatever, whatever feels good. If you want to be a little louder with colors. I, I mean, that's a great thing about like, modern day tv and covering sports is like it's totally acceptable to be more casual and more colorful so i would say whatever feels good do it um you no, still get no. uh, you still get audience criticism people like emailing you and and saying stuff about your hair or different things <laughs> <laughs> once in a while once in a while but but not too bad okay. um good. yeah yeah what about um I mean, uh, since it is a, a, a physical medium, are you? What are some like additional costs that a reporter has to worry about? I would think like a gym membership, dry cleaning, <laughs> all that's a factor, right? And and budgeting too. Absolutely, all the above. Um, or nowadays, you can have like I have a Peloton at home, right. so I I ride that, and yeah, dry cleaning. By uh, you know keeping keeping some keeping your wardrobe a, a little updated. When I was in smaller markets, I would get a clothing allowance. That was nice. Okay, but cool. Generally speaking, when you're in bigger markets and making some more money, they're like, "All right, we're paying you, so go buy your own clothes." Um, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times, a big expense for people who are on the air is if you had an agent help you find your job and secure your contract, then, you know, you're paying a percentage to them. So that, that might be something you pay annually or monthly. I had an agent that helped me actually get to Indianapolis and then to Chicago. So that person, you know, I pay every month for um, a portion of the contract. So yeah, I would say biggest things you hit, you hit two of them. Um, dry cleaning, clothes, gym, and agent. What, um, what makes you feel better when you're able to disconnect from work? Being with my family. Yeah. I got, uh, two little boys, 
an amazing wife. I'm really fortunate. Um, you know, such a, as uh, I loved being in Indianapolis and I think it's an amazing sports city, but it was really a blessing for me to be able to get a job in Chicago, which is where I grew up and both my family and my wife's family still live here. So just being, being able to be around family is the best. If it's the summer, playing a little golf, um, maybe escaping to Wisconsin, get on the lake in a boat or just, just chill. But, uh, when you have kids, sadly, not sadly, but the reality is that me time decreases greatly. So, um, there's not much time to do things that I just want to do on my own, but that's okay because there's nothing better than having my two kids. And I'll tell you, my limited experience of being on the air, I was a producer for the Afternoon Drive show on CBS Sports 1430 for a while. Um, but one of the coolest moments of my life was to get home every day and see mom and dad. And they say, man, what a great show. Um, have, right? your par- have your parents gotten to see some of your success and like tune in to see you? <laughs> oh, my God. my mom. I think my mom watches every single thing that I do. That's awesome. She's uh, she's my fan club president. It's a very small fan club, <laughs> <laughs> but she's the president. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, that's part of what's that's part of why I'm so grateful to have the opportunity here is I get, you know, and my grandparents, I'm amazing. You know, my grandparents are in their 90s and uh, they watch and to hear from them that they watched and enjoyed seeing me. Um, those things are really special. I don't take that for granted. How much of watching sports and just being involved with it do you think had to do with spending time with your dad? I know for me, that was the thing that I loved about it was I got to spend time with my dad. (laughs) A big part of it. Um, You know, my dad grew up a big Cubs fan in uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. So he passed that down to me and my siblings. And, um, you know, I was so lucky. My dad shared some Bulls season tickets while I was growing up. And, you know, I got to, I got to sit there and watch Michael Jordan play and watch the nineties Bulls, um, watch them win. 96. I was there when they beat the Sonics to clinch. And Mm. there might've been one more that I'm forgetting, but, yeah, those those bonding moments of there's actually one of my favorite memories is <clears throat> um, being at the the 1992 NBA Finals game one, mm-hmm. and there's the famous shot of Michael Jordan going like this after he hits his right. sixth three pointer in the first half, and I remember, you know, I'm I'm ten years old and I'm like dad did you see him did you see what he did and my dad didn't see it and I was telling him about it and then seeing it later and I I remember going to um in in 95 when when Michael came back after that first retirement the first Bulls home game riding the train down and getting ready to see to see Michael at the United Center um and just just Lots of great memories with my dad of Mm -hmm. going to Bulls games and Bears games and Cubs games and sharing those moments, watching 
watching sports together. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the foundation that gets built for a sports lover. I agree with you. Um, well, and we all know that uh, food goes along with going to a sporting event, and there's no shortage of food in Chicago. Uh, best pizza places in Chicago when I make my way up there. Oh. Well, I'm really partial to of the of the bigger, more well-known deep dish places. I'm partial to Lou Malnati's. Okay. So I love Lou's. Um, That's down here now. They expanded, so we we do really Malnati's. Yeah, I believe. Wow, it rings. I remember. I remember. I think when I was leaving Indy, a Giordano's was getting built. Right. Yeah, they were Um, a sponsor for Ken's show. I remember that. Really. Yeah, it tastes just like Chicago. That was their slogan, I think. <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. There's some, there's like a, there's also some great local spots here. There's like a tavern style. Tavern style is another kind of Chicago staple. And there's a great spot called uh, Paisans um, that I love. Um, there, there's just, the reality is like, you really could drop into almost anywhere and they'll cook you up a fairly good tavern style pizza in <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to deep dish, like if I'm craving deep dish and putting an order in, I'm going, I'm going to Malnati's, but I do like okay. Giordano's. I do different sauces, chunkier for Lou's more pureed and smooth for Giordano's. Giordano's, I would say, a little um, sweeter with the tomato sauce, but both really good. I would not discriminate. Um, A staple that every Hoosier would recommend to anybody uh, when you come into town here is St. Elmo's with the uh, famous shrimp cocktail that everyone needs to try. Uh, and and experience that pain for a second um do you have any uh favorite restaurant here that if you come through town you gotta have (laughs) by the way did you see uh mark ingram i did yeah yeah that um he was he was experiencing some tears there for a minute but (laughs) powered through (laughs) um so my favorite restaurant in indy was there were two of them because we lived downtown. Okay. So Bluebeard. Okay. Um, which I think was Fountain Square. Right. That sounds so, right. so, so good. And then um, at the end of Mass Ave, but I don't think it's open anymore. It was a place called Black Market. Um, okay. It was really, really good. We loved those places. Um, but the few times I've been back to Indy for like the Combine or for... The NCAA tournament, I have not had a chance to go to those spots. Uh, You know what was, I think, the most, the great, quick meal in Indy that I loved? What's that? Yaks. Yeah. Yeah, they're great, man. They're really good. Love you. Um, They were. And And obviously, there's tons of great, like, probably undiscovered restaurants that I don't even know about and that have been built. But I would also add loved going to um, it was on, it was on Mass Ave and it was a, 
It was a Mexican restaurant. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to come to me at some point. (laughs) Um, But it was really good. Great guacamole. No, I I loved it, man. Um, But the place I would recommend, uh, just because I frequent there, uh, Kilroy's. They got really good breadsticks, too. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. And I got to go. I got to go to the 500 as a fan for the first time this last year oh, for good. my, uh, yeah, yeah, for my brother-in-law's uh, bachelor party. And we, we went to Kilroy's one night, which was fun. We were just playing Papa shot and watching games and having breadsticks and all that stuff. But, you know, I should, honestly, Jimmy, I should have mentioned off the top when you were asking me about stuff that I covered in Indy, yeah. um, doing the 500 is unlike anything I've ever done. And yeah. not just, not just because of, the race day experience, but just the way, the way it's treated for the entire month of May is so special. Um, you know, being out there every day for practice and doing all the early shows live track side. Um, and then I'll never forget driving in on for my first 500, um, you know, driving in at three, three thirty in the morning and there's, tons of cars lined up waiting for the gates to open at 3 3 30 in the morning and mm. the other yeah. thing i always talk about is you know the 500 for the for the indycar drivers is that's their super bowl each year can you imagine standing on the sideline you know an hour before the super bowl talking to patrick mahomes or tom brady that's what you're doing in the garages, you know, all morning. You're you're literally with, you know, whoever it is, Elio Castroneves or, you know, Tony Kanan, and you're it's the that's their Super Bowl and just an hour hour and hours before you're in you're in their space and yeah, doing those interviews. There, there's nothing like that, uh, being on the air for, you know, six, seven hours and doing those live interviews. Some of the best memories of my broadcasting career and I got to tell you I've had to cover one or two of them while I've been here in Chicago right and we're calling it we're covering them on such a small scale compared to being in Indianapolis and I've been been there and just felt like jealous like wanting to be doing what all the folks in Indianapolis are doing because that's the real way to cover the 500 is be in the garages live for hours not just you know doing a live shot after the race well my, my dad was a, a musician and entertainer and uh for years he was the corporate party for dry ryan bold racing so i when i was a little kid they needed somebody to um get into the car that they were going to have to pull into the garage and i i actually ended up <laughs> fitting in there and helped them back it into the truck you know so i kind of um i have a limited experience of being in one of those cars and it's uh I can't imagine being in that tight of quarters going that fast, man. It's tough. <laughs> so. That's 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 more than I've been in an indie car, so that's really cool. Yeah, I, I looking back and reflecting on all the experiences I've had, it's uh, it's been a joy so far. Um, are you starstruck by anyone with everybody you've met in your career? <laughs> I would say the most starstruck I've felt was at golf tournaments being this far from Tiger Woods for, Mm. for um, interviews after a round. 
Um, I think the only thing that could top it is getting a chance to talk to Michael Jordan. Okay. And yet, have that you... would, I would, I think my heart would be. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, it, you know, there is an element of, you know, you become used to talking with and being behind, behind the scenes with, you know, some of the most recognizable athletes and famous people. And it becomes a little normalized. Um, I guess another time was I remember, I remember putting a, a microphone in LeBron's face after a game at the United Center. Like when it's the when it when they're the greats of all time, I think that's when I still feel it. Mm. Um, is is when you're doing it and you're talking and you're you're trying to get a question in and not sound stupid, which is hard for me. Um, and and you're asking it to Tiger Woods or LeBron James, you know, that's those are the moments where you're kind of like, holy, holy crap, this is this is a big deal. This is fun. Well, I should have known uh, maybe this was an indication that Andrew Luck wasn't going to be a football player for long. I remember meeting him for the first time when he was a rookie at uh, Colts minicamp and he brings me the game ball. And of course, all the cameras are around us. And he's he says, uh, I'll sign it if you want. Like, duh, <laughs> of course. <man. laughs> like, that's not going to increase its value. I mean, it, it sometimes surprises me when your sports heroes are not humble about it, but just like, yeah, here you go. What, it, it's not that big of a deal to them, but to everybody else, they're sort of larger than life. That's kind of. <laughs> well, what's nice is the best thing is when you meet and when you get to know a little better some of these athletes and you realize that they're just a really good person because yeah. you know i mean this is this can be said for anyone in life not not everyone is such a great person but especially when it's someone who has that enormous talent and fame and privilege like and andrew luck is such a great example i mean he was so easy to talk to and he was just nice and friendly and down to earth and i remember getting to do something one-on-one -on -one with him a couple times and um just there's no there's nothing that made you feel like you were inferior to him he was just he was just a nice guy um yeah so it was it was really cool to to get to cover him and interview him and obviously he's such a unique person and personality to to make the decision he did to you know retire when he was still when he still had so many great years ahead of him um mike let's go ahead and wrap this up uh here uh best life lessons that you've learned from being in the media <laughs> well i think um I think um, treat everyone with kindness, okay. you know, especially at, you know, a TV station or a radio station. There's so many people who are contributing to what happens on the air and everyone is equally important. And it's so important to remember to just treat everyone with kindness and the same importance and be grateful for all the help that you get along the way. 
and the help you get every day. I think saying thank you is yeah. so it's such a small gesture, but like anyone who, when, when you're told thank you, it means something. So I think, you know, sharing those positive moments with other people that you work with and saying thank you is, is really meaningful. And I think that persistence and sticking with it is really hard because we all want things to happen immediately um, yeah. or sooner rather than later. But anything worth having is worth working for. So it's typically going to take you longer than you want to get what you really want. But I think when you're committed and you keep working hard on your ability, that those two things together will help get you where you want to go. So work hard, be committed, stick with it. And, um, you know, above all, just, just be good to people. Be nice. Uh, do you have any future ambitions that you want to document here? I feel like you should do a podcast like this, man. I'd love to see you do more interviews and, and do some documentation. That'd be fun. I just want to retire. Stop working. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Me too. Honestly, I, I know, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 there's nothing. I, my ambition was always to rise through, you know, the, the markets and have an opportunity to work at, at home in my hometown. And when I met my wife in Austin and she happened to be from, the Chicago suburbs too, that was only strengthened. I really wanted to get to Chicago. So, you know, I, I was, I'm fortunate and grateful to have accomplished that goal. And I think now the ambition is just keep getting better. You know, I don't think that the learning and the growing thing ever stops. So I'm just trying all the time to get better as a writer, to get, get better live, to get better ad-libbing, um, to find great stories, stuff like that. I don't, I don't have some ambition to leave Chicago, but just yeah. to be the best version of myself in Chicago that I can. Well, I, uh, I only knew you for a short time and, uh, you were only here in Indianapolis for a little bit, but in a, uh, field of massive egos, <laughs> Uh, you you did not have one and, and made my job easier. I hope that I did the same for you. And uh, it's a joy to document part of your story today, Mike. Thanks for being here, man. I appreciate well, it. Well, Jimmy, we, we cannot stop this without me talking about you because <laughs> then, and this is really true. I, I think about, I was, I was only in Indy for a couple of cult seasons, but, you know, those days when you're, when you're doing a Sunday 1 p.m. kickoff and, you know, we were for CBS four, we were the, uh, the Colts partner. So we were doing pregame shows early on the field and then the game and then post game. And then all the way through, you know, the late news um, extended sports at, at 11 o'clock that night, those are long days. And yeah, 
to come to the to come to Lucas Oil and to see your face smiling and your great attitude every Sunday was you you don't know that that's a gift. Um, so you are you are all class. You have such a great attitude and smile and. I will always remember those those things and remember you fondly just getting to see you and give you give you a handshake and a hug on on the sideline on game day and get to catch up. That was that was a great memory for me from my time in Indianapolis. So thank you for being that friendly face and welcoming to to me. My pleasure. Um, For folks that want to uh, reach out, connect with you, maybe give you a story. uh, How can they find you? Send me an email, mike.berman, B-E-R-M-A-N, at NBCUNI.com. Or tweet at me, Mike Berman NBC. Or Facebook is Mike Berman NBC 5, I think. Okay. I'm still such a dork that I haven't gotten on Instagram. Oh, no, my, no idea. My wife... So I got to make that happen. It's maybe like, maybe that's my new year's resolution <laughs> for 2024. We're going to get Mike it's a big one. on IG, a, yeah. a real, a, a real meaningful one. I'm not on TikTok yet. I, I refuse to do it. I can't do it. Okay. So. I'm not on TikTok either. Yeah. So we, we got that. Um, Mike, in the couple minutes we got left, anything else you want to add, sir? No, I just, for anyone who's listening or watching in Indianapolis, always so grateful for, you know, that the, the kindness that Hoosiers showed me and my wife and I got so much amazing experience and we made some great friends there. It's uh, it was a short stay, but it was a really meaningful one. So always, always keep Indianapolis in my heart and, and have a special place for it. Uh, folks, to check out this episode again, as well as all others with the podcast, make your way over to linktree.com slash JBK on air. You can also follow me at JBK on air on all social media pages. And until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow.